You're listening to audio from Mercy's Door Community Church in Mascouda, Illinois. If you'd like to get more information about Mercy's Door, we'd love for you to connect with us on Facebook or check us out at mercysdoor.org. Today, if you haven't been with us for nearly, uh, I guess, the past year or so uh, at Mercy's Door, let me catch you up a little bit with where we're at. So we're walking through the Gospel of John. We take books of the Bible, we walk through them left to right. We don't skip over verses because it's important that the people who wrote what they wrote, wrote them to a specific audience in a specific way, and it can't mean to us what it didn't mean to them. So a way we talk about that is through uh, uh, expositional preaching, through the uh, word-for-word left to right study of the Bible. And so the way that we have broken down the Gospel of John is, as you see every week, you might get a little bit... uh, 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 confused or not confused or distracted by the uh, you know the the vocal velvety pipes of the the British dude up here. But what we've done is we've separated the Gospel of John into four distinct mini series or four distinct uh, divisions through the Gospel of John. The first one is in the beginning. In the beginning, we reread how John. Uh, has been painting the big picture from the beginning of a triune God having one story, having one plan, the Word becoming flesh in the Son, Jesus Christ, and that flesh being made manifest to all people. That was the first section. Second, Second section was the signs of a Savior. How this Word that became flesh now has shown His deity through the signs and efforts He made to restore people. He called his disciples. He, he produced signs and wonders, healings and miracles. He displayed to the world that he was God. The third section was teachings of a good shepherd. This is Jesus' teaching that really blew away the contemporaries of the time. They had no idea how this man of uneducated background from Nazareth was speaking with such authority and boldness and clarity, dividing people in their Uh, understanding of the scriptures because of his power this teachings wrapped up last week as jesus prays for himself he he then prays for his disciples and then ultimately he prays for anyone that would believe in him including us in the high priestly prayer so this week today we are starting in the final mini-series through the bigger picture of john and that is entitled a new life a new life chapter 18 is where we're at today it begins with jesus's passion ministry and it finishes with his reappearance after he had risen from the dead now it's fu- it's fitting that this final section is entitled a new life because ultimately a new life is only possible through the passion of christ through what he was willing to endure for us so that's where we are at today I have the privilege of jumping us right into this final mini-series that will culminate in around Easter time, matter of fact, which is fantastic. So, imagine the sight. Imagine the sight. Where were you this Wednesday whenever that big storm came through town? Y'all with me? All right. I was, uh, it was starting to sprinkle, starting to mist on us a little bit, and then as soon as I got out of the car to go pick up the kids, it just let loose, Right? Trees fell over, limbs fell down, uh, our basketball goal fell over, I had it anchored down, I don't know what's going on. It's a miracle that uh, our trampoline is in one piece, one piece, you know what I'm saying? It was crazy. It was crazy for about, you know, 15, 20, maybe 30 minutes, right? So I was there, 
with my daughters, and uh, one of my, my middle daughter, Callum, she goes, you know, Daddy, those, those clouds are grumpy. <laughs> those are grumpy clouds. And I was like, that's exactly right, baby. Those are grumpy clouds. And we would have never imagined the sight that we saw after. Did anyone see that sunset after on Wednesday? It just, we, 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 the, the, the wind and the rain and the chaos of it all met with a beautiful, incredible sunset. She said, Dad, those clouds aren't grumpy anymore at the end. But as I prepared, as I've been preparing through this text, I would reread and read this uh, account um, dozens of times. And as I was reading, I had a similar sentiment as I was reading this text of like, just imagine this sight. Imagine this sight as we are going through. These fickle, stubborn disciples must have been uh, just out of their mind. They, they had just left the most intimate time that they had with Jesus, where Jesus was pouring into them in the upper room discourse, which we read from chapters 13 of John to chapter 17 of John, right? The most intimate time that Jesus is pouring specifically into his disciples. They were, might have still been in shock a little bit that this Messiah, this one that they've seen do miracles, washed their feet. They still might be confused that he had uh, predicted his betrayal and they don't quite understand what that is meaning and how that's going to play out. They still might be interested of what he's saying when he talked last week, a few weeks ago, about the coming of the Holy Spirit. Imagine the sight. This morning, like I mentioned earlier, we're going to begin his passion ministry. And as I was reading and preparing for this, one commentator summarized it in three points. He said, John emphasized three things in this account of Jesus' passion. One, the voluntariness of Christ's sufferings. Two, the fulfillment of a divine plan of his sufferings. And three, the majesty that shone through his sufferings. Today, we're going to see that begin to unfold. So, I have broken down verses 1 through 3 in three different sections. If you're a note taker, go ahead and write this down. If you're not a note taker, if you, maybe you follow along on the Bible app, the YouVersion Bible app. And let me just pause for a second. And, and give a quick shout out. Uh, every week, uh, that just doesn't happen. We, when we get on the Bible app and, and you go, and I've been personally blessed. I know many of you have been blessed by using the Bible app. So I just want to pause. I want to thank Sean Busby. Sean does this out of his own volition every single week. And he, not only that, he does so many things that go unnoticed. So I just want to publicly thank you, brother, uh, for what you do, man. I, uh, we've been blessed. So three sections. If you're following along, taking notes. Verses 1 through 3, we're going to set the stage. The stage being set from his, for his betrayal. Verses 4 through 9, we're going to see Jesus' omniscience, his power, and fulfillment on display. In the last two, verses 10 through 11, we're going to see a, a last-ditch effort. Here we go. Verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he, had, he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed them, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, 
went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Let's break it down. Verse 1, when Jesus had spoken these words, what words? Remember, this is coming off the high priestly prayer. We spent the last three weeks diving into Jesus' prayer as our great high priest, as the intermediary between us and God. He prays for himself. God, give me glory that I might glorify them. And how he can glorify us is by incarnating in us, by living in us through spirit. He prays for his disciples. He prays for us in the high priestly prayer. The intercession of our great high priest is the foundation of our confidence. Any perseverance that we may have comes from this prayer of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But more than that, these words, when he spoke, like I mentioned, verses are chapter 13 through 17, the upper room discourse where Jesus spent intimate time. And so, the setting is changed. This is very clear. He, they're not in the upper room anymore. They are out. They are walking brook in the brook Kidron. Let's look at that. Well, before we look at that, what is it? the next part? It says, when Jesus spoke these words, he went out. Now, three unassuming words here, but these are three incredibly important words. In these three words, we see the extreme bravery and the extreme boldness of Jesus. We see how determined he is to finish the work of culminating that culminates in the cross. Can we just take a second here? Being God and being man, he, he simultaneously knew what was going to happen as he experienced it in real time. That's crazy, right? We can't wrap our minds around that divinity. The sheer resolve that he had every day Day after day, for 33 years, right? Step after step, knowing what was coming to him, and he decides on this day that he's going out. And every step, taking him a step closer to his humiliation and torture of the cross. Every day, step by step, resolved, he is going to accomplish what he's going to accomplish. Amen? His perfection and deity was going to be disregarded. He would become the fall guy for the insecurity and the hatred of those who were in opposition to him. This is good news because his willingness to follow through with the plan that him and the Father ordained from eternity past demonstrates his love for you. It demonstrates why we say every single week, that you are loved beyond belief because your Savior every day took steps in his life to rescue you and me. That's great news, y'all. So he gets to the Brook Kidron. This is uh, a little east of Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives. Uh, there was a garden, and we know that this garden from the other gospel accounts is the, the Garden of Gethsemane from the other gospels, like I said. We know that they had been here before. Therefore, Judas knew the location where to fulfill his betrayal, handing Jesus over to the soldiers. This also teaches us that in choosing this place that Jesus knew, that, that Jesus in no way was avoiding this upcoming event, right? 
Think about it. He could have been a little bit more crafty with where they met. Let's go to a different place. But no, they went to the same place because he knew Judas knew. Verse 3. Judas having procured a band of soldiers. What does this mean? Well, procured implies that he didn't just stumble upon these soldiers. He had some intent with them. He had some intent behind us, and we know the wickedness of Judas's heart in all of this. Um, now, he procured, it says, a band of soldiers. In the other gospel accounts, if you cross-reference this, in Matthew, uh, the author calls this band of soldiers a great crowd. In Mark and Luke, it's just simply called a crowd. But another translation translates uh, band of soldiers to detachment of troops. And what we know from uh, Roman history is that this number could be anywhere from 200 soldiers to 1,000 soldiers. Now, we don't know specifically the, the precise number of how many that there were. But we, can, we do know that with the soldiers, there were temple officers, temple police, because of the charges that Jesus was being brought up on. We know that they were prepared for resistance, right? How we know this? Because they brought lanterns and, and torches and, and weapons. They were ready to scrap. They were ready to throw down if they needed to. So the stage is set. The stage of his betrayal is set. And let me just say, Imagine this sight. Walk through it as if you're there. This intimate time of blessing, the Last Supper, the institution of, the, of communion, this beautiful time with the Savior, and now this. Troops, officers, the betrayer, in this place that's familiar, they've been there before, and the stage is set. But as I was thinking about this, I was th thinking of a couple instances that parallels what's happening right now in John chapter 18. First and foremost, it should, when we hear garden, we should also liken that back to the Garden of Eden, right? The Garden of Eden where Adam, in perfection, in no, having no need, having nothing of want, ha not being alone with Eve and we know the outcome of that. He falls. But Jesus, we know from the other gospel accounts, was alone because his disciples fell asleep on him. But let not only that, what's looming over him is the weight of sin for the humanity of the world. And he doesn't fail in accomplishing the Lord's will. The second observation from this is David. We read in 2 Samuel chapter 15, David is fleeing because he's being chased and he's betrayed and rejected both of these men, Jesus and David. In this, and, and David is right now going through the Kidron Valley in 2 Samuel 15, where Jesus is in this story. Both men rejected, both men betrayed by people very, very close to them. Verse 4. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with him. With Jesus said to them, I am he. They drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. 
Jesus answered, I told you that I am he, so if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken of those who you gave me. I have lost not one. Let's break it down. Verse 4, knowing all that would happen. We've already touched on this a little bit, but this is a very John way of writing that throughout the gospel he was very directly making statements that revere, that reveal the nature of Jesus. He's making statements that reveal the nature of God with how he's talking. We know when he says, knowing all things, this is the understanding of God's character, that he is omniscient, that he is knowing everything. Now, like me this week, just let your tiny little finite brain try to wrap your mind around that. Knowing everything. Pastor Adam and I were in a car, uh, you know, I don't know, a month or so ago, and we were just talking. We were talking about rockets and SpaceX, like uh, you do, and we got onto the topic of understanding of how when we come into new understanding of something, whenever we advance or come, we discover something new, we take new ground in an area our humanity, we rejoice and we're, we're prosperous for it because we've, we've done something we've never done before. We've achieved something we've never done. We've discovered. We've learned something new. But as we arrive there, God has been sitting there waiting for eternity. He knows everything. Our God knows the past. He knows everything that you're going through right now and future discovery, future enlightenment, future knowledge. He's there and he will be there and has been there. He knows everything. So it's foolish for us to think that we can hide or outsmart God. That's why we value, we seek here at Mercy's Door to live radically honest lives in front of God and in front of our brothers and sisters. So we see this, knowing all that would happen, he came forward and said, whom do you seek? Jesus initiates. He doesn't wait back to see what they wanted. He came forward. Who do you seek? Verse 6, when Jesus said these identifying words, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Imagine the sight. Imagine the sight of what is happening. Now, there, uh, there's some theories on what is actually happening. I mean, I, we, we can't know the hearts and minds and intents of the crowd that fell to the ground. We can infer some things. Some people believe they recoiled from surprise or they're repulsed by what they perceive to be blasphemy. They, they didn't fall forward and worship. They fell backwards in fear. Uh, but another view and what I believe is happening here is uh, is summarized by an author and theologian, Henry Alford. He says, The soldiers that fell back were as a result of the superhuman dignity of his person and the majestic calmness of his reply. The, the weight of the words from the mouth that created the universe just spoke. And this crowd, this great crowd, the soldiers fell to the ground. <laughs> now, I don't believe that Judas was the only one undone in this 
setting in this story, right? We read at the end of this that Judas had fell down at the feet of Jesus. But another, a great observation as I'm reading and preparing for this that came apart in a quote. I have it up here by author uh, Alexander McLaren. He says this. This is an incredible observation. It says, whenever, our, whenever in our Lord's life any incident indicates more emphatically than usual the lowliness of his, humili- his humiliation, there, by the side of it, you get something that indicates the majesty of his glory. I said, wow, that's, that's pretty insightful. Every time we see, we hear an account of really the lowliness of his estate, there paired with it is something in, of incredible glory. You think about it, Jesus is, was born as a humble baby, yet he was announced by angels. Jesus was laid in a manger, but he was signaled by a star. Jesus submitted to baptism as if he were a sinner. Then what happens? He heard the divine voice of approval. Jesus slept in the boat when he was exhausted, all but to wake up, calm the storm. Jesus wept at the grave, and then he called that dead man to come back to life. Here we see he surrendered to arrest, then declared, I am and knocked the troops to the ground. And ultimately, church, Jesus dies a humiliating death on a cross, and in so doing, defeats sin and death and Satan. Imagine the sight. These troops were rallied. They were geared up, ready to fight, ready for a brawl. The moment of confrontation had come. They approach and Jesus leaves zero doubt that, hey, you're here for me. And they fall to the ground with his voice. It's incredible. This is incredible. But in verse 7, we see in an effort to seemingly snap them back to reality, like, hey, guys, uh, aren't you here to arrest me? He said, whom do you seek? Who are you here for? He says, I am he. This display of power and wisdom was also created as an out for his disciples. Why? Because we read in verse 9, this was to fulfill the word that he had spoken of those whom you've given me. I have lost not one. Remember what this is coming off the heels of in the high priestly prayer. Jesus had just prayed for these men. He had just prayed for his followers here. He's already fulfilling promises of our, that he has made as our glory, but also as our great shepherd. Our great shepherd. John MacArthur puts it like this. Believers are eternally secure, not in their own strength, but by the gracious and, say it with me, constant protection. Believers are eternally secure, not in their own strength, but by the gracious and constant protection of the Savior. You see, this was really just a taste of the work that he was going to do for them on the cross. That Jesus makes sure that his people are okay before he lets the, the crowds, lets the troops uh, take him away in his arrest. In the same way, he, he takes on the cross. He first cares for his people, making sure they are safe 
before he gives himself truly over. Imagine the sight. Y'all with me in that? Like, imagine this sight, but it gets better. Verse 10. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Imagine the sight. I don't know if anyone in here, without getting too graphic, has seen an ear. Okay? I don't want to. Um, Sorry for putting that image in your mind. But it's interesting here how Peter contradicts himself. We know Peter's story. We know know how Peter's story ends, but we know his his story coming up. And a a dear brother of mine and a sister church over in uh, uh, St. Charles, John Ryan, he says, In Jesus' time of need, Peter was willing to kill for Jesus, but he wasn't willing to die for him. Peter sees this betrayal as a defeat and begins his his one-man rebellion, if you will. You know, and I've often read this story and been very endeared to Peter. Uh, He's just a relatable guy, right? He, he's fiery, he's passionate, he, he sticks up for those he cares about. And I still, to some degree, uh, see this and read Peter as an endearing man. We, we don't read of any of the other disciples ready to jump in and, and, and take something for it to come to blows, right? No one else is, is doing this, but it's Peter. But as I was reading this and, and thinking about it, it's really a dog backed into a corner scenario for Peter. And who does he attack? He attacks the bond servant of the high priest. We know his name to be Malchus. Malchus was an unarmed bond servant. He didn't attack a soldier, right? So he attacked this unarmed guy that he thought might make a splash, right? So this, this attack, this, this jump to, to defend his, his Lord, his rabbi, Jesus, was at the same time Brave, but also cowardly. Right? What does Jesus say? Put your sword away. Put your sword in its sheath. Stop, Peter. This again shows the the upside-down economy of the kingdom of God. That Jesus will suffer defeat in order to bring victory. That victory isn't something that we achieve. It's something we receive. Right? That doesn't make sense. That's not how the world works. He's not of the world. We follow someone who is not of this world. Peter doesn't get it. He doesn't get it. And as uh, Elvis once said, fools rush in. Fools rush in. And as I think many of us can understand, and we agree that zeal without knowledge can be dangerous. Zeal without knowledge can be dangerous, but isn't this our story? Isn't this our story when, when we want to know the outcome or in the very least have a general sense of the outcome and when it doesn't happen the way that we think it should, we do crazy things like cut people's ears off, right? Hopefully not, you know, legit, you know, unless you're Mike Tyson or something, I guess. But I, I wonder, maybe this would be a great conversation this weekend in GC, what's your chopping ear off story? 
What's your chopping ear off moment this past week where you didn't see the full picture and you, in your haste, thought, I've got to take things into my own hands? Peter shows us that he didn't understand what's going on as further explained. Jesus says, Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me, Peter? Every time, from here on out, every time you read the word cup, every time you read that word, I want you to associate it with judgment, suffering, and wrath. We read in the Old Testament the cup as God's wrath being poured out against sin. Peter, don't you see what I have to do for you? Church, don't you see what Jesus has to do? He has to do this. That's why he's not shocked when Judas betrays him. That's why he willingly, every day, takes steps walking to the cross. Every day of his life. As we wrap up, the reality is what is coming is better. Amen. Jesus is writing a better story than Peter can see. He's writing a better story than we can see sometimes. So, with that, and without stealing too much from upcoming uh, passages, I want to pause and give you this moment of hope here. What has happened? We know what is going to happen with this guy, Peter, and we know the full story of what happens with Peter. He is the rock on the, which the church is going to be built, and we know how he meets his demise. But let me look at me. If we can learn anything from Peter's life, it's not too late to be restored. Peter denied. Peter denied. And Peter denied in Jesus' greatest time of need. I think we've all failed Jesus in some way, shape, or form, but I doubt that we have denied him in the severity of his earthly ministry, the lengths that Peter did. And how is Peter resolved? We know the end of the story. You know, when you... When you go to buy a house, what do you do? You walk in the house, and you, you bring your family with you, and you, you try to picture your life in the house. You try to picture what it's going to be like putting the, putting the couch here and setting the table up and like in the kitchen. In the backyard, we can do this. But before you get too far down that road, what do you need to do? You need to call someone and do an inspection on the house because you want to make sure that there's no surprises for whenever you, you make an offer on the house. Right? You do an inspection, make sure there's no termites and that the, the sewer uh, backs up and that all the electrical is up to code. You want to make sure of this before you buy it. Ladies and gentlemen, when it comes to you and me, Jesus knew what He was buying. And He made the purchase. He made the purchase. He went through with the purchase. Pastor, author Dustin Binge, he said it like this, even after Peter denied Jesus three times, Jesus called to him, feed my sheep. 
Jesus was saying to Peter, I know what you're like and what you've done, but I want you anyway. He graciously says the same to all believers. Church, despite you, despite me, he says, I want you. So much, and proof of this, is that while we were yet sinners, he demonstrates his love on the cross. I'll close with these words from David as we, as we summarize this stage being set, imagining this sight. I'll close with uh, words from David, a man who was in a similar position in the Kidron Valley. Psalm 1611 says this, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Church, would we be a church that sees rightly the greater story that Jesus is writing, but when we don't, run quickly back into his loving arms? Return to the lover of your soul Repent and believe once again. Run to the Father who gives you a living hope. Let's pray.